Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. Our last podcast on dyeing and printing, the third episode that talks about printing and the sixth in the whole dyeing and printing series, is going to focus on color problems. Problems that occur in printing, of course, and also problems that occur in dyeing. As I've said repeatedly, if you really want to uh, know all about the chemical and engineering processes behind printing and dyeing, you're tackling what can be a very enjoyable life's work. However, if you're interested in this because you're learning about textiles to work in the fashion industry or as an interior designer or potentially as a home economics teacher, then it's mainly helpful to understand what can go wrong in these industrial processes because color is one of the most important attributes that a consumer is looking for in their products. You're going to disappoint consumers more quickly with uh, color-related problems than almost any other problem. And it can be good to kind of understand what's going on with these problems. Let's start with printing because this is the printing series and then I'll move into some problems that we also see in dyeing. Uh, one of the first problems that we might see is the off-register printing that I already mentioned when I talked about screen prints. So you might have a design where it's meant to be a navy blue star with a slightly darker navy blue outline, but the lighter navy blue wasn't printed, the, the whole roller wasn't properly calibrated, so it's ever so slightly off and we can see a little bit of the white background peeking through the, the outline. Right? So we just basically aren't coloring and Inside the lines. Um, think of registration, you know, you register for classes, right, or you register your car. It means everything's lined up perfectly. All the information is in the right place. Uh, your schedule is correct, right? And so if, if the print is off register, things aren't aligned right. Another alignment issue that is related to the quality of the textile is off grain printing. Uh, the fabrics can be produced off grain. They can either be skewed, so they sort of slant in one direction, or they can be uh, bowed, so they kind of, uh, the grain, the crosswise grains uh, sort of bend down in the middle. And uh, if the fabric is skewed and the, and the crosswise grain tilts up in one direction, then when you pull from side to side evenly across the fabric, you end up with a bit more stretch because you're not actually pulling um, on either end of a single crosswise yarn. You're pulling on kind of one and then, you know, it maybe um, one of its neighbors, right? And so it's on the bias at that point. It's slightly stretchy. And if you're doing something like making a quilt, you don't want your quilt pieces to stretch. They need to be nice and sturdy. You need to know which direction the grain is in. So if the fabric is off grain, you want to print the design in, I mean, you can't, you have no choice, right? The the fabric is, is uh, uh put through, right? But now you have a design that doesn't match the grain. And then you, as the the uh, quilter, are going to have to choose. Do I have all the tilt, uh, little teddy bears in this pattern tilted at a slightly drunken angle, or do I have the entire piece of fabric be slightly off grain, in which case it's going to be a little puckered around the edges, a little distorted looking, right? So off-grain printing lowers the quality of products, and off-grain printed fabric is one of the sorts of things we see in products design 
mind for outlet sale. Another issue we might see with printing is what's called pigment cracking. I mentioned at the very beginning of this series on printing and dyeing that you can use pigments in both printing and dyeing. Uh, the pigments have no affinity for the fabric. They're not going to bond with the fabric in any way. So we have to glue them on. Sometimes the glue dries out a little bit. This is especially problematic in knits because they stretch so much. And so the glue just dries and cracks and breaks, right? Um, and uh, then we end up with something that just looks a little worn out before it's time. So pigment cracking. The name says it all. Uh, tendering. Tendering is something we can see in either dyed or printed fabric. Tendering is when the fibers are destroyed or weakened by chemicals that are released from the print paste or from the dye. Well, why would we put chemicals that destroy fabric in the print paste or dye? Remember I mentioned sulfur dyes giving us a really nice black? We actually see this in um, uh, 18th and 19th century uh, quilts. Uh, some cases the quilts are signed with uh, iron gall ink, right? Oh my goodness, George Washington signed this quilt. Well, we don't know he signed it because all that's left is a hole where the iron gall ink, which would have been very acidic uh, and when, uh, would have eaten through the fabric. So now we just have a jaggedy hole. Uh, somebody told us that George Washington signed the quilt, but we'll never be sure because literally the part of the fabric with a signature on it was eaten away by the very ink that they used to sign it. Uh, iron gall ink is one example, but of course the sulfur dyes, when mixed with a little humidity in the air, can produce over time a bit of sulfuric acid. And the sulfuric acid will begin to eat away at the fibers, do, uh, creating this tendering problem. Uh, in some cases, the problem can be very severe. We could unroll a, a roll of fabric we'd kept in storage on a humid uh, dock at a port somewhere for just a month and discover that the fabric is full of holes or suddenly very weak because of some ongoing chemical reaction uh, from the dyes uh, and other chemicals that were used in the print or dyed fabric. Another problem is called fume fading. Uh, this is an issue, especially with acetate. Uh, so for whatever reason, uh, dyes that uh, uh, were uh, acetate when it's dyed with uh, uh, certain dyes, uh, the color would change as the fabric was exposed to atmospheric gases, a fancy way of saying things like ozone or car exhaust. So nowadays we tend to solution dye acetate or use the the more high temperature dispersed dye process in order to make sure that we have very stable dyes. This can be problematic because, of course, the bridal industrial complex, that specialized form of money laundering and organized crime that involves your special day, may not bother to use high quality acetate in the products they're selling your, the people you claim are your friends, the, the bridesmaids, right? So they may be buying a, a bridesmaid's dress in that lovely shade of seafoam green that is, in fact, vulnerable to fume fading. So another thing for the bridesmaid to avoid on the happy day, avoid nail polish because the acetone in the nail polish will damage the acetate and avoid any kind of car exhaust. Walk around the front of the limo, not around the back, um, just in case. You don't want to end up with a, a weird colored streak, a purple streak on your seafoam green bridesmaid's dress. Or do you? It might really be an improvement. It's hard to say. 
the point is, is that the bridal industrial complex may not go to the trouble to use the most stable dyes on their fabrics. They're trying to match the color you asked for, uh, not necessarily give you a high quality product. Sorry if I'm a bit cynical, but I just honestly can't understand that particular trend of having incredibly poor quality garments that cost so much money and are purchased by these poor people that have been uh, roped into participating and making you look good. Uh, yes, a little bit of bitterness there, and I really met a bridesmaid's dress that was that much fun to alter. Another color problem we might have is related to color matching. Uh, color matching is its own whole separate topic that I'll cover in the podcast at some point in the future. But uh, one really important thing to know about is that there are some dyes, many dyes, that look different depending on what wavelength of light is being reflected from them right? Because the wavelength of light is information that's passed to the eye and the more information or the different information your eye will interpret it differently. This problem is called metamerism or metamerism if you're in Britain and metamerism is an issue. Have you ever heard the advice like uh, if you're buying a foundation at a department store put some on your uh, jawline and then look at it under natural light it's because the wavelength of natural light will literally cause it to look differently. And you may realize like, oh, this is not a color that matches my skin. It may look great in uh, the fluorescent light that's in the store or incandescent light, but it may not look good um, under uh, daylight, right? So uh, that's an example that you might have experienced. It would be a real bummer for consumers to buy something thinking that it was one color, like that it perfectly matched their seafoam green bridesmaid's dress, and then get Get it outside and discover that this is not going to work for that Hawaiian wedding, right? That this little shawl is in fact, uh, you know, a, a, a clover green instead of seafoam green and they're just going to look ridiculous, right? So metamerism is something that uh, as a, a buyer or a designer, you want to check for. Make sure you've looked at the textile under several lights. Now, when it comes to the dye process itself, there are several things that can happen uh, after the consumer buys a product that they may be unhappy about. Uh, one of them is fading. Fading is, let's just define it as a loss of color. It can happen because uh, ultraviolet radiation breaks the chromophore, right? So fading due to light. It can happen um, because uh, chemicals in uh, perspiration or antiperspirants or deodorants, uh, typically more alkali, may have an adverse uh, reaction with the dye, causing the dye to kind of give up the ship and leave the textile. And of course, it could be because the chromophore is damaged through oxidation by a bleach, for example. And all of those make the items seem lighter or a slightly different color than they would have originally. And I mentioned fume fading as its own whole separate category just a moment ago. Now, of course, uh, if, the, if the fading is happening because the uh, color is being washed off in the laundry, it's not color fast. Those direct dyes are not as color fast, for example, on cellulose. Then we'll also have what's called bleeding. Right, So the notorious red sock that stains everything pink. We will test for this actually at Textile's quality testing laboratories. Yes, there used to be such a thing all over. Now, uh, fewer and fewer brands actually pay, but you can pay to have the fabric that you're interested in using for your products actually tested for these problems so that you know that it's not gonna give your consumers a headache. 
uh, will basically stitch or staple a piece of what's called multi-fiber test fabric. And this multi-fiber test fabric has stripes that uh, where the filling yarn and the stripes are each a different fiber content. So we will have a silk stripe and a wool stripe and a nylon stripe and a cotton stripe and a rayon stripe and a polyester stripe. And then we'll launder the swatch that has this fabric uh, pressed right against it, either stapled or stitched. And then we'll look carefully, especially at that nylon stripe, since nylon is a color scavenger. And if the stripe has changed color, if it isn't white anymore, even if it's very light, then we know that there was some bleeding. We know that the fabric itself faded because some dye left it, and that uh, white items in the laundry are going to become slightly discolored. Uh, another uh, issue with color leaving the fabric and being picked up somewhere else doesn't happen in laundering, right, as the relationship between fading and bleeding. It happens during rubbing. So crocking is, yes, that's the literal name. Crocking is when color is rubbed off or transferred from one fabric to another, just through abrasion, although it can be made worse by moisture. Think about what would happen if your team colors were scarlet and white and you were wearing a varsity jacket where the felt part of the jacket was red and the leather part of the sleeves was white. What if that red had a crocking problem? You got a little warm in the jacket and you pumped your arms around cheering for your team and you ended up with red streaks on the white sleeves of the jacket. Pretty embarrassing, hmm? That would be crocking. And of course, fading is when color is removed from fabric via rubbing. So if the fabric that was crocking, transferring color to another fabric, became lighter as a result, we would call that frosting. Although sometimes things like denim is distressed and the distressing takes the form of frosting. So they'll actually use sandpaper coated with uh, dipped in chemicals to rub and remove uh, some of the dye from the surface of the fabric. And that's an example of where we would frost on purpose as opposed to just having it happen, well, you know, like the the, the chew can in the back pocket or the wallet, right? And you can see this, the square outline of the wallet or the ring from the chew can in the back of that cowboy's jeans. That's an example of frosting. So that's quite a lot of definitions all in a row there, but these definitions are really important to help you have a coherent, intelligent conversation with the supplier about why you uh, or your customers are unhappy with the product and the performance of the print or die.